Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. We've been um, considering this theme of what is your next and pondering that question. And what we mean by that is, you know, what is your next step of faith? What is God calling you to do next? Each, each day is something new, and each day God is calling us to something new. And often he's calling us to new opportunities, to new ministries, to new people, as, as Paul um, said as he prayed, new people to love, new people to serve. What is your next? This is especially powerful in this moment as we're kind of gearing up and moving into the school year. And I know that that sort of reflects our calendar big time as, as new things begin with our fall programming, as our Wednesday nights kick off and all of that. Last week, we were focused on exactly what Brian's meditation brought out this morning. Brought out this idea of the free gift of grace. The free gift of grace. And we receive from Jesus a free gift of grace. And if that is a free gift, if it's truly a gift and you just are called to, to receive it, then what's the logical conclusion? What would you do if you saw your life as it is? If you saw your sinfulness, if you saw all that you've done wrong, if you saw all the things that you were mentally wrong about over the years, if you saw yourself as you were, and you saw at the same time the almighty grace of God portrayed in Jesus Christ, what would the logical response be to that situation? It would be to receive the gift, to accept it. And Paul puts it this way. He says, we read last week from verse, um, verse 1, to offer yourself as a living sacrifice, for this is your logical worship. Remember the word there that often is translated spiritual is actually logikos. It's logical. It makes sense. What would you do in the face of all of God's grace? Well, you would give yourself over. And I was just really... Um, struck by this as Paul, um, as Paul prayed and uh, Brian's communion meditation and a song that uh, Paul picked, though you slay me, yet I will praise you. Though you ruin me, I will bless your name. I'm struck by this idea of a living sacrifice. What would it mean for me to pour my life out to God? Paul says this, he says, um, Paul the apostle, not the two Pauls I've mentioned, <laughs> Um, he says to Timothy, he says, my life is being poured out. And here he refers to the drink offerings because not only would they lay sacrifices of animals, but they would pour drinks and just pour it out. He says, my life is just poured out. I'm like fluid. I'm just being dumped out. And yet he seems to regret nothing. I was thinking about what a sacrifice does. I mean, think about an animal that you lay on an altar or a, or, or a drink offering that you'd pour out on an altar or a grain offering that you'd set out on an altar. What, is the, what does the sacrifice do? What's it do? Nothing, right? It just lays there. I mean, you, it, just, it, just, it goes on the altar and then the high priest takes over. And those of you who remember your Bible very well, hint Hebrews, who is our high priest? Jesus. So the call of the scriptures is to see that what we're supposed to be doing is placing ourselves on the altar and then allowing Jesus to do what Jesus does, and that's everything else. It's just incredible. It's just incredible. I, Paul, there he is. I, I just loved it. I felt like the Holy Spirit was speaking through you this morning as you prayed when you said, I don't even know, not really sure what it means to lay down my life as a living sacrifice, because I just think of petty things. I, just, I think of the same kind of things, you know? what? God wants all of me. And Paul says that makes sense 
if you see God for who he is. So we are called not to work harder, not to do more, but to recognize the grace of God because we have been seized by a great affection. And so our efforts for Christ are not work. It would be like saying that my efforts for Laura are work, that they might be interpreted as work if somebody didn't know how much I love her and want to serve her and want to be with her. And so to do those things is not work. It's, it's joy. It's happiness. It's life. So our task then is not to become a better Christian, but Paul says in verse 2 of Romans 12, to renew our mind, to begin to see God for who he is, to begin to see Jesus for who he is, to begin to see what it means to say grace by faith, to begin to see the world, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, as through the mind of Christ, because he says again in 2 Corinthians 5, he says, if anyone is in Christ, there is Not there will be, not someday, not in the sweet by and by, not when we all get to heaven. No, present tense, right here, right now, there is new creation. That's an incredible thought. And Paul's injunction is, you don't make that happen. You don't see it done. We don't bring the kingdom of God. God does that fully by his grace. What he wants you to do is to see it so that because if you could see it and you knew it, of course you would participate in it. You would just dive in to that sea of grace, that sea of love, you would let it just swallow you up and drown you. I think that's an incredible thought. Bob um, was here uh, Wednesday night. Uh, Bob Burns put it perfectly. He was talking about the way that he, uh, this is why you need to come to Wednesday night because the Holy Spirit speaks through people and it's, it's often not me. Bob is speaking and he says that he thinks of his life often his days as tallies, like I'm making a tally of the things I'm supposed to be doing. Okay, I did that thing. I did this thing. Yeah, I read my Bible. It was nice to my kids. Whatever. You know, you, your tally is. And he says, I, I see now that that's not the way I should see the world, but rather I should see the grace of God. And then I would just begin to do the things, those things. They wouldn't be tallies. They wouldn't be checklists to make God happy. It would just be what I do as a child of God. He put it better, but as a, I can't remember exactly what it is. But you, you get the gist. So we're calling you to operate out of this sense of grace and to remove the idea that I need to work, 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 work to be the kind of people that God wants us to be, to to receive the kind of love that God wants to give. No, you are already a child of God. Paul calls all those people in Corinth saints. And you remember the kind of stuff that was going on there, right? I mean, all kinds of craziness, all kinds of conflict, all kinds of disputes and, 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 and sinfulness, and yet he calls them saints. How is that possible? It wouldn't be, except for the grace of Almighty God. And so he calls us to recognize that we have already been faithfully covenanted to God and to respond to his covenant out of love and out of faithfulness. He draws us deeper into this line of thinking, and as we continue to think about what's next for us, look at verse 3 of Romans chapter 12. He says this, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. In keeping with this deep sense of giftedness, I want to draw you to the first part of this verse. Notice that. He says, the grace given to me. 
Because we're all on the same footing, right? If you're a really great Christian and you're doing all the right things, or you're a really terrible Christian and you're messing up a lot, and you're really wrestling and struggling, or maybe you're a Christian and you're wrestling with your faith, and you're even struggling with doubt about God and maybe his existence or the faithfulness of Jesus. I mean, the scriptures are, 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 are full of letters to people who are wondering, who are doubting, who are questioning. Wherever you find yourself today, we are all on equal footing because we're all sinners saved by grace. Amen? Right? So Paul says then, I speak out of a sense of grace because that's what all I have to lean on. He says all of my works, he says, I count them as rubbish in Philippians 3. Remember that? It's all rubbish. It's junk. It means nothing only Jesus. And so we're all on equal footing. And out of my mouth, he says, I speak grace. And I want to hammer this point home for just a minute because I think it proves a larger point. But I think it means here at the, at the forefront that our language, our way of speech, ought to begin with grace. You notice that? By the grace given to me. So it is first the, the fount. It is the source of all that Paul has to say, of all that he thinks, he recognizes his sinfulness and he says that the source of all I am comes from grace. All I am comes from grace. It is the work of the Spirit that has made me born again and filled me up and led me. Remember Romans 8 we, we had talked about last week? How it filled me up and it leads me and I'm indwelt by the Spirit. All of this by the grace of God, sanctification, justification, glorification, all this because of the grace of God. And that leads then to point two, that even in this sense of criticism or warning that Paul gives them, he says, you know, don't think more highly. Don't be haughty, if I could put it in a word. He says this from a sense of grace. I think that's an important point for us uh, as church people who spend a, a good deal of time together and often are very strong personalities, right? Speaking grace to one another. Because I can tell you no, when somebody's source and, and heart is not grace, they have a sharp tongue with you. They have a sharp tongue. Remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of the evil treasure of his heart produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if the source of our, of our heart or our emotions, the way we think, because the heart, remember, again in the scriptures means sort of logic and thinking. If the source of the way we view the world then is a place of grace, then of course out of our mouth is going to come grace, which is why Paul says in Colossians chapter 2 verse 4, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. So my brothers and sisters, if your heart is full of grace, then out of your heart and out of your mouth might come warnings, might come criticisms, might come, come you know, corrections for other brothers and sisters or perhaps people who don't belong to the church at all. But out of that is always going to be grace. And so what he's saying here is not specifically talking, I don't think, about four-letter words and dirty jokes, which we all sort of want to think in this context, his question is this, is out of your mouth coming generosity, courtesy, deference, humility, grace? Do you go in with the question, am I right in this, or do you go in with the question, I'm right about this? There's a difference, isn't there? So out of grace, we move and speak the content, spirit, demeanor of our speech 
This is the rudder, this little rudder that moves large ships is but a highlight of the overarching point, which is what he's getting at here. How do you esteem yourself? Where do you see yourself? And what's so interesting is I have grown up in an age of self-esteem. I remember the great, the great days of um, assemblies. I don't know how many of you are my age, but you remember the assemblies where they would come and you'd sit in the bleachers and, and you'd listen to some boring person talk about how you should feel good about yourself, which was just, I'm, it was great because you're not doing math. So it was awesome. But at the same time, this is, this is what it's all about. Like you should feel good, pat yourself on the back, give yourself a hug, like, you know, love yourself. And, and what does this produce? What's interesting, if you talk to future Dr. Laura over here, the studies that we have been producing, that they've been coming out in the counseling field, is it has produced narcissism. It's produced people who think that they're entitled to something. It's produced people who think that they're going to be the next Kobe Bryant, and so everyone should just bow down, right, and just let me pass. It's people who think that they are all that. And what's interesting is that we would be surprised were it not for the fact that we're Christians and we read Scripture, and what did Scripture just say? Don't think highly of yourself. Don't place yourself on a pedestal. In fact, he says, Paul says when, he, when he's talking to the Philippians about taking on the mind of Christ, he says, Jesus took on the very nature of a servant, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So if you want to be following in Jesus' footstep rather than self-esteem, you would say, I put you first. In fact, that's what Paul says. He says earlier in that same chapter, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. And that runs against our grain, I know. Like, that's a work of the... If you can do that, that proves the Holy Spirit's in you. Because our nature is to be self-centered, is to look after number one. And by that, I mean me, right? But the Holy Spirit is at work in us, calling us to see each other for who we are. We are all the children of God. And if we're all the children of God, then there's not one above the other. They've also done studies about bullies. I remember hearing this when I was a student, uh, when I was a kid. That bullies, um, they, they really actually felt bad about themselves, and so that's why they bullied other people? No, right? Obviously, that sounded retarded to me when I was a kid. Like, you just, like, that doesn't make any sense as it is. But even so, uh, even so, you would say that what they've discovered is that bullies think highly of themselves and they treat others accordingly. So if you think lowly of yourself, how will you treat people? You'll treat them as though they deserve estimation. So we are to submit to one another, he says in Ephesians 5, 21, out of reverence for Christ. The wisdom of Scripture is that we begin in grace, recognizing that each person has been given a certain measure of faith, and all of that comes from the grace of God. And so no one is above somebody else, more loved than somebody else. Indeed, the point of the cross is, is foolishness, he says. And why is it foolishness? Because to say that your God is the one who died on a cross, especially back in those days, was to say your God is a failure. Some of our earliest iconography is, in fact, um, graffiti on a wall in Rome of a crucified donkey. And it says, I can't remember the guy's name, it's in, it's in Greek, but that's his God. It's, it's mockery. It's mockery because it's a foolish thing. And God has used this foolishness to shame the wise because it is through the cross, through this idea of putting others first, that God has able to raise Jesus to the highest place. And Jesus, out of his graciousness, is going to take us with him, right? And so the cross is proof that it's not the powerful. 
It's not the wise, it's not the wealthy, it's not the influential, it's not the politically connected, it's not the, the beautiful. It is those who call Jesus Lord and Savior. And so we read in verses 4 and 5, chapter 12. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually we are members of one another. And so we can see the line of reasoning that Paul has had up to this point, that through grace and because of grace we are able to be grace. Because Jesus has given us justification, that is, he has made us right with God, he has forgiven our sins, and he's given us sanctification. He has made us holy in his sight. He has then brought us together and gifted each and every one of us so that we could all have different functions in the body. And if we all have different functions in the body, how could one piece of the body say to the other piece of the body, I am superior to you? We all need each other. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the feet, I have no need of you. We need each other. And I've talked about this for some time. And I keep hammering that home because I need you to understand this. We talked, um, one time I made a joke about Adrian being the spleen. And, (laughs) thanks Randy. (laughs) And she said to me after the service that the only thing she could think of was a splenectomy. Like I wanted to get her cut out. We both laughed about, well I laughed about it. I don't know if she laughed about it. She didn't laugh. She didn't think it was as funny as I did. Um, but I didn't know what the spleen did, and neither she, did she. And it, thankfully to the Nijowskis who bought uh, Emery, or Ian, who bought Emery a little body thing, because Emery's obsessed with like, gross things like internal organs, because she's my kid, um, has this little thing. And, and we found out what the spleen does. The spleen uh, holds white blood cells, platelets, and heals red blood cells. So you are an incredibly important part of this body. I am so thankful that God has given us a spleen, right? We need each other. One part of the body can't say to another part of the body, I don't need you. We all have a function, and God, out of his grace, has given you that function, and he has placed you in this place so that that function could allow the whole body to be built up. There's a number of applications. We are members of one another. I, I often talk about us being family, and this pushes that metaphor deeper, Because we're not just family, we're fused together like Siamese twins or something. Like we're like, that's a weird example. But I guess it's kind of biblically the point. Like we share, we share something at a genetic, that's going to make it to a social media. That's the the, the Twitter theme you're talking about. Things Jordan says. Oh man. We are fused together in the spirit of God. That we are belonging to one another and the deepest sense of existence, ontologically, we're together. And this leads us to at least three conclusions. First is the importance of unity. And I know that no matter how good things are going in the church, there's always some kind of rubbing up against each other. And, And what this means is that biblically it is insane and not only insane but actually impossible to say you know what i'm done i'm just going to the another church down the road or something like that you, you're tearing a piece of the body away and you're going to go in they've already got two spleens over there adrian they don't need you right they this is how god has made the body he's made it to be unified and how do we do this we do this by having honest conversations with each other this is we we, we aren't afraid of conflict because our commitment is together i'm not afraid of fighting with laura i'll fight with her all for the rest of my life. I've committed to fight with her. 
and she usually wins, but not always. Once in a while, I get it. Because the commitment, the bond, right, of the two together means we can, we can have conflicts and disagreements, but we know we're never going to separate. Like, that's just not an option. And the same is true with the body of Christ. In fact, Paul draws our attention to the unity and the function of marriage in, Romans, or in Ephesians 5. And he says, this isn't even about marriage. I don't even, marriage is fine, but that's not even the point. The point is that you see the church. This matters more. In the same way, unity Secondly, familiarity. I think of what it means to be in this body, to be Jordan. Really existential stuff going on here. And, uh, you know, I, I know myself better than any of you know me, thank God, right? And I know my own mind because I know my body, right? But if we draw that into the connection we have here of us being a body, do we know each other that deeply? It seems to me that to call each other brother and sister is to live in the same house at some point. To call each other the body is to know each other deeply, that there is a sense of familiarity there. And yet I've found that people could go to church with each other for their entire life, go to Bible studies together, and the only thing you know about each other is your names. We need to be familiar with one another. Why? Because the scriptures say we're body. The scripture says we're family. But more than that, if you don't know somebody, how could you ever help them? How could you ever pray for them? How could you ever be there with them in a time of need? And how do we get to know each other? We have dinner together. They met together day by day, breaking bread in their homes and eating their food with glad and sincere hearts. You remember that from Acts chapter 2? This is the heart, fixing this discrepancy in our practice versus the scriptures is the heart of our small church ministry. And the point is that we would get together in our homes and we'll eat together and share with one another and pray for one another and bear with one another and fight, fight with one another out of love. Thirdly, uniqueness. And this is really important. We need to recognize that each and every person is unique. Some of you are really, really unique, and we love you for it. We love you for it. The, 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 one of the great things about, that I have learned is being a minister, and I, and I think many of you don't get the opportunity to do this, but the thing that I have learned is how to love everybody. <laughs> everybody is sort of their own person, and everything that you look at in somebody that sort of drives you crazy and seems like a weakness or a flaw— if you look at it from another side, it's almost always a strength as well. Uh, stubbornness is, is leadership, right? Uh, meekness is service. I mean, there's all kinds of ways that, that we can see. That it's all about having the mind of Christ. And, and, and again, from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, we, look at, we used to look at Jesus as a fool, this guy who died for nothing, right? But now we no longer see him that way. We see him as a, as a risen Savior, as the glorious Lord, as the King of kings, the one who's coming to conquer, to rule, to reign, to restore. The, the way of thinking of people as needing to be the same as us is gone. And instead, what do we see? We see uniqueness and individuality and spleens and faith fingers and hearts and toes. We see all of the uniqueness of the body of Christ. And instead of saying, you need to be like me, you can't think like this or you can't be like this, we say, man, it's great to have you as a part of the body because God has uniquely gifted you and blessed you so that the church could be built up. And this leads to the instruction we have in verses 6 through 8. Romans 12, 6 through 8. So having gifts that differ 
according to the grace given to us. You notice that? Again, the grace that has prepared the gifts, but also that has separated, divided, made the gifts unique. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us then, what's it say? I need, I need some, I need you, I, what? Use them. Use them. Use those gifts. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, that word also means like haste, like get to it, like that's the leader, right? Let's go do this. And the one who does acts of mercy or charity to do so with cheerfulness. And this should draw into our mind the complexity of a body. Think of all the complexity of a body. That's y'all. Each unique and different. Should draw our minds to the grace of God given out in Jesus Christ and especially through the Spirit. Remember how Peter preached, quoting Joel. He said, now that Jesus has gone and, and now that the Spirit has fallen upon us, he says that the Spirit will be poured out on all people, young and old, male and female, rich and poor, slave and free, that the Spirit of God is going to come onto all people and then uniquely empower, fill, sanctify, and gift. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. This is the work that is being done in each and every one of you. And so as we ponder these texts, I want to keep hammering home that the idea of practicing our gifts is not practicing work but practicing grace. As we think about renewing our minds, as we think about being born of the Spirit, it means so many things, but at least it means this, that each one of you has been gifted. You want to know why churches are falling apart, why churches aren't thriving, why they're not living, why they're not moving. It's because, not because of lack of belief. We have all kinds of people who believe in Jesus. In fact, the majority of people in America still believe in Jesus. They have some sort of cultural remembrance of Christianity. Of what we have as people who are not practicing their gifts. We're being fed. We're coming to be fed. We're not coming to learn how to feed. And each one of you is going to learn how to feed the body in a unique way. Your function is different. And we're not coming to do that. And so you need to practice your gifts. Not out of a spirit of work, but out of a spirit of grace. And this will do at least a few things for you. I should have done like a, I thought of this just earlier. Like a David Letterman top ten. But I'm not that creative so it's just this. If we began to practice our gifts, it would cut down on our fighting. It would cut down on our gossip. It would cut down on our backbiting. It would cut down on our looking down our noses at other people because, of course, if you're busy, you can't be a busy body, right? I mean, that's just, that's the way it works. And we need that. That's great. We, we need to be busy at work rather than busy critiquing one another. Secondly, it will enable you to directly connect with the Holy Spirit. What did Jesus say? This is one of my favorite passages. In John chapter 3, he talks to Nicodemus, and he said, it's, it's, the Spirit moves where it will. Right? Just like the wind, it blows where it will. And you are the people of the Spirit. Again, the same word Spirit means wind. We could translate it equally. You are the people of the wind. 
that God is blowing to and fro. He's blowing all over the place, and he wants to catch you up. As it says in the scriptures in Romans 8, as we're reading, you're filled with the Spirit, you're indwelt by the Spirit, and you're being led by the Spirit. The Spirit wants to lead you to a new place, wants to lead you to your next. But if you're saying, no, Spirit, I'm not interested, I don't want to go there, it's not that necessarily you're, you're going to hell or something like that, but it does mean this. You are not connecting to God in the fullness of the grace that he wants to give to you means you're missing out on meeting God where he wants you to be working. And that's a tragedy. And that's just a tragedy. And so part of our seeking and our searching our hearts in this text and in this theme, and as we're thinking through the, the coming year, what's your next? Where's the Spirit leading you? It allows you, thirdly, to serve other people. I seem to remember a really great guy saying, I did not come to be served, but to serve I remember that same guy saying, no servant is above his master. And if I came to serve, you should too. Which means if we begin to serve and utilize our gifts, we're going to be like Jesus. And isn't that kind of what we're all about? Like, shared Jesus comes at the very beginning of the idea that you ought to be in some way incarnational of who Jesus is. People should see Jesus through you. Otherwise, how in the world could you ever share Jesus? And that's what we say we're about. So let's be about it. Right? Fourth, it gives you ownership in what's going on in this weird Siamese twin that we've got here. It gives you ownership in the body. It makes you passionate about what's happening. It makes you belong here. I have had, uh, over the years, all kinds of people, I mean, in, in every, well, not every state, every, every state we've been in, say to me at some point, you know, I don't know that the church cares about me. And I know that that's a legitimate feeling that a lot of those folks have. I, don't, I feel like I don't belong, or I feel like I'm not plugged in, or I feel like I'm kind of just like, I'm just sort of a wallflower, and people don't notice. You know, all kinds of different feelings that I've seen all over the place, and I always want to say to these people, go serve. Like, go serve. Because in service, you're going to run into other Christians who are serving. And as you run into each other together, then you can get that familiarity going. And once you get that familiarity going, then all of a sudden you've got friends. And friends eventually become family. Because family doesn't ask where the coffee pot is. They just go make coffee. And that's the goal here. That every single one of you would feel comfortable enough in my house that you just go make coffee. By the way, if you want coffee, you can come over and make some coffee. Not all of you at the same time. I can't fit you. right? So stagger a little bit. I mean, that's the goal. If, if you're feeling left out, man, plug in. Fifthly, it will allow us to keep what we have been called to keep, the Great Commission. God has called us to go and make disciples. And he will ask us one day, what did you do with the talents that I gave you? And man, we don't want to be the guy that says, I buried it in the sand. We want to be the guy or the gal who says, I went out there and I did my best. And this is what I produced and God can then say to us, well done, good and faithful servants, enter into my rest. We want that too, right? So practice your gifts. Sometimes we get so caught up in, in what the church can do for us. You know, it's so interesting to me that Paul never talks like that. I mean, read the letters. When does he ever talk like that? He never talks like that. He just says, the, the grace of God is upon you. Begin to love one another and bear with one another and, and, and work with one another and see one another and go out in the world and recognize the grace of God and, and, and let go of the sinful way of life and let go of that old man and fix your eyes on Jesus. All of this is like, go, 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 right? Not sit, 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 sit. I think that's just so incredible. And if you pull out your bulletins, we gave you this sheet. If you didn't see Chuck... 
because he's got a whole slew of them left over. This is not an exhaustive list of some of the ministries that we have, um, but it is a list of some of the needs that we have. We want to offer you a tangible opportunity, even if you walk away saying, well, that sermon wasn't that great. Um, you at least have something in your hand to apply the text that we just read. Uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. And we have all kinds of things that are placed here. And I know that each one of you has been, been gifted. And, and it, here are some of the needs that we have off the top of our heads. And you know what? I know that each of you is gifted in unique ways. And perhaps... And I assume this. Some of you have ministries that are going on. You, you're talking to people that don't know Jesus, maybe at the CrossFit gym. Yes? Yeah, good. I have been too. Like the weirdest thing, I join a gym, and, and immediately I'm, I'm talking to these, running into these people, because you see the same people, and you start talking about church and Jesus. And, like you find ministries wherever you are. And it's, it's crazy how they pop up. They might be uniquely in your life. So please don't take this as a this is all there is. There's a backside. There's a lot of space. Go nuts. Like, go nuts. I'm, I'm totally interested in how God is moving and how the Spirit is moving and how you are gifted. How are you gifted? Share it with us or check it off and... So what we want you to do is we want you to take this home and we want you to pray over it. We want you to really think about your next. Last week we gave you an oper- all the list of opportunities that we have to renew your mind. Sunday mornings and, and Wednesday night services and our small church meetings and our Sunday school classes. Those are opportunities to renew your mind. But this is an opportunity for you to get moving. To do that go, go, go. To share your gifts, your talents, your services. What can you do? What is God calling you to do? And then like I said, if you can do something that I can't even imagine or never even thought about. Write it down. Go nuts. One of the things that I'm, I'm worried about, though, is that as you hear me saying this, you think to yourself, well, Jordan, you're just contradicting yourself because didn't you just say it's all the grace of God, all the grace of God? And that's true. It is all the grace of God. All of it. But I noticed this um, verse. This is one of my favorite verses. John chapter 1, verse 16. It says this, For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. From the fullness of Jesus Christ we have received grace upon grace. So far we've talked about justification Grace, peace with God, as I've been describing it, it's kind of like God has a big house and there's a room in it and it's got your name on it and he's just asking you, do you want to come and dwell in this room? And all you got to say is, yeah, I'll move my stuff in as soon as I can, right? Grace. On top of that, he has given us sanctification. He has filled us with the Holy Spirit. He is indwelling us even now. He is making us holy and we are holy. And he is leading us by his power, grace. On top of that, we read in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, that those he justifies, he glorifies. That is that God wants to give you even more grace. He's going to give you a glorified body. You are the thing that all of creation, remember Romans 8 earlier? The, all of creation, the stones, the rocks, the trees, the animals, they're crying out to see the children of God receive the glory that God wants to give them. He's given you grace upon grace upon grace, and on top of that grace, he has given you a church that loves you. He has empowered you. He has equipped you so that uniquely you would fit in this body in your own special, bizarre, sometimes even, way. He has given you grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And so what we're not doing is, hey, you're bad Christians, get to work, try harder. What we're saying is dive into this ocean of grace that God has laid out before you. 
Why would you do anything less than just dive in and get to know your brothers and sisters and dive in and renew your mind and, and, and change the way you think and dive in and begin to serve the church in your own way? What's your next? God's given you so much. Does it make sense then to lay yourself down as a living sacrifice? What's your next? God's called you and renewed your mind. What's your next? He's gifted you to be a blessing. What's your next? Let's consider this as we stand and we sing this song.